Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Jeremy Fisk, and as always, I am joined by Lee Carlo and Chapin Hemingway. Uh, this week, we got to the theater, despite the fact that MoviePass won't uh, allow me to, to <laughs> buy a movie for a big hit like Mission Impossible Fallout. I still was able to cough up the $12 and go see it. Um, and uh, then we're going to be doing our top five... Tom Cruise scenes. Your mission. Should you choose to accept it? I wonder. Did you ever choose not to? The end you always feared is coming. And the blood will be on your hands. The fallout of all your good intentions. You had a terrible choice to make in Berlin. One life over millions. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. If he had held on to the plutonium, we wouldn't be having this conversation. His team would be dead. Yes, they would. That's the job. You don't understand what you're involved in. You need to walk away. Please don't make me go through you. How many times has Hunt's government betrayed him, disavowed him, cast him aside? How long before a man like that has had enough? All right, guys. So I find it interesting that a lot of times we talk about these big budget action movies and how they're all the same and how we're kind of getting tired of them. Um, but when we knew there was going to be a new Mission Impossible movie, Mission Impossible Fallout, we all unanimously agreed, yeah, we're going to see that. So what is it about this franchise that we appreciate a bit more or have a adoration for more than your typical uh, action, Hollywood action movie. What is it about the Mission Impossible franchise that uh, we gravitate to? Um, for me, it's always been, I think just in uh, very general terms, it's always been a, a, a series that has a lot of respect for directors. Um, that seems kind of like an obvious comment because, I mean, movies are directed by directors, obviously, but I think... Um, Cruise, as we've pointed out before, has always worked with really great directors, and this is a this is Tom Cruise's series. He's the producer on it. He's the only guy. He's he's he made the first one, um, you know, from his own production company, and since then it's been his. He's the like you know lead person on on these movies, and he's always engaged directors to great directors to take these on. I mean, and it's I was thinking about it. It's like a twenty two year long 
franchise, right? And so it mm-hmm. hasn't been rebooted. I think that's probably uh, one one thing that we we like about it. It you know it's it's evolved certainly since 1996. But um, I mean, for me, it was this kind of showcase for these great directors to kind of work with a huge budget and on these giant set pieces and. Um, to me, that was always really interesting. Um, I think the, the the most recent two are kind of um, the exception to the rule. I don't know that Christopher McQuarrie is so much well-known as a director, as a writer. He won the Oscar for um, for Usual Suspects at a really young age. But, I mean, to me, I mean, I think it's really been a – it's the, they've they, the movies have certainly gotten better. They've gotten great reviews, certainly, for, for – at least most of them have. And – they've always been like a showcase for directors to kind of show off. Yeah. It's a good question that, that I've sort of been thinking about since I saw it. And, you know, I, I was asking myself, okay, what, like you said, what makes this any different than an Avengers movie? Um, or really what makes it any different than a bond movie or a born movie or your, you know, semi-annual fast and the furious. Like it's, it's a lot of the same each movie. And I've, sort of criticize them for sort of all blending together and I can't remember which ones I've seen or which plot line was from which movie and so I don't know that I came up with an answer uh, that I was happy with and I agree with you Chapin that I think to a certain extent they've been um, vehicles for uh, good directors to take the helm at kind of a stereotypical action movie um, which we don't get to see all the time uh, but I honestly, if, if, if nothing else, I think it's Tom Cruise. I mean, he's a huge movie star that I happen to like both as a movie star and as an actor. I've always considered him to be a good actor, and I like to see his movies. So I, for me, I think that's a, a huge part of it. Yeah, I mean, um, to answer my own question, I mean, before you just said that, Lee, I mean, for me, it is, it's Cruise. It's 100% Tom Cruise. And there's something about him as a producer for these and as an actor that is super engaging um like you look back at the first mission impossible and you of course you had brian de palma directing it it wasn't like it was trying to be an action movie per se it was trying to be somewhat of a a mystery in a weird way something that you you know you have to really engage with the plot and try to follow it along i think maybe the second and third one i don't remember what was the one that philip seymour hoffman was in yeah that's there the was third a, one that was three, yeah, yeah those two lost their way and they became more about um just sort of spectacles but tom cruise respects respects <laughs> like as far as like action movies just like plain old like old school action movies like he he's like this one, I, I especially think did a great job with its stunts and trying to keep the um, CGI to a minimum. Um, and he also really respects like the the idea behind these Mission Impossibles of uh, an engaging plot, an engaging mysterious plot. Like keep keep the uh, the viewers on the edge of their seat, trying guessing what's actually happening. I know for me, and Jeremy, I'm curious if you feel the same way, that that Tom Cruise bringing me into this movie has very... 
very little to do with what I think is bringing a lot of people back to these movies now with him is that he's doing his own stunts and everybody kind of wants to see what he's going to do next, which is, you know, amazing in its own right. Some of the stuff that he does and, and it's kind of, you know, ridiculous. Um, but I don't, I don't want it to sound like that. That's what I'm looking for because of Tom Cruise. Like I really do. I actually think that at times he get, he is an underrated actor because, you know, he's sort of a lunatic off screen and, he does do all his stunts and is, you know, I guess a lunatic on screen too. Um, but I think he, he, you know, we're doing top five Tom Cruise scenes, and I tried to focus a little bit on performance with a lot of those scenes because I think, you know, regardless of the character he's playing, uh, he he tends to turn in really good performances. Yeah, and I think um, that this character of Ethan Hunt is especially interesting um and and uh mission impossible fallout especially like sort of deals with this character having sort of ramifications and uh, guilt associated with him which makes him more human and more relatable and i think that's a big part of why this franchise has been so successful um over the better ones of these movies which i definitely include fallout in as far as it's probably my second favorite mission impossible to the to the original. Interesting. I thought this movie was pretty terrible. Really? If I'm really? going to come right out and say it, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get um, into it. Why did you think so, that? Yeah. So I mean, I have n- I don't I'm not sure, or I should say, it's very rare that like I am simultaneously like fully into and enjoying a movie while just absolutely like tearing it apart critically. Like I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> like I enjoyed myself, I, like as I do with just about every Mission Impossible movie. But I mean, this movie was like it from the very beginning with all like the ridiculous exposition, which is always there. But it took it to another level. Um, everything was explained two or three times. Like the the guilt aspect that you were pointing out about Ethan Hunt, they really made sure we knew that in this one because every single character in the movie had to remind him that uh, he left the plutonium behind to save his friend. Um, and then that continued throughout the movie, and it's just, it, you know, I think maybe, and I, I don't want this to be the case, but I, I think maybe these movies are starting to get a little too repetitive for me. And I was thinking about it as he was hanging off the helicopter, uh, and it was all looking so familiar to me. And I was like, oh, it's because he hung off a plane in Rogue Nation. He hung off a train in the original one. I was looking to see if I could find any scenes that he hung off of a bus or a boat or a car. He hung off a cliff in the second one. Well, the cliff, yeah. But I just mean moving objects. Um, I just feel like that, you know, they're starting to get a little bit too repetitive. And, you know, this one in particular didn't kind of have the surrounding pieces working well enough to forgive that weird because i totally disagree i thought i was for a two and a half hour movie i was engaged the entire time i, I mean i, I sort of was too I, I, yeah again that you know but as a movie as a, uh, you know i think it was uh, you know um chapin you pointed out that Macquarie might not fall into the same category as some of the other directors that have handle these movies and i think that was pretty evident here although i thought rogue nation was quite good and he did that one as well um but yeah i felt like the the edit um the directing was bad the editing was messy um there were scenes where you know dialogue was supposed to 
just be right on top of each other while they were cutting and and the edits weren't consistent with that and it was these little errors that seem like they shouldn't show up in a movie like this that were taking me out of the movie that's interesting Weird, that you that you liked Rogue One. I mean, not Rogue One, Rogue Nation, but you didn't like this one. They they're so to me like the, these are the two that are like tonally so the, you know the most the same between they are yeah. all the movies. I mean, it's the same director, and so I'm interested to see why you kind of well. I think it comes back to the the repetition. Um, you know they're they're not all that different either. I mean you deal, you have the same villain, uh, you have the same sidekicks, you know, and you're sort of you know it's a lot of the same in the two. And I think oddly I, I went back and rewatched Rogue Nation after Fallout, um, so I've actually seen it more recently. But it oddly felt newer and fresher, and and that maybe perhaps because I knew it came before it. But um, all the pieces sort of worked a little bit better than in Fallout. Hmm. But I, I I fell hook line and sinker for this plot. I mean, for even for what like I, I maybe it's because now we're into whatever. What is this? The fifth Mission six, Impossible, six, six. sixth Mission Impossible. Like that character of Ethan Hunt is, you know, uh, at this point we we know him or well, he's relatable. So I totally fell for that whole thing about his wife and then him having to make that decision of choosing his. Uh, team member over the plutonium i mean it yeah, sounds stupid coming out of fun. my mouth right now I, but um. i think that's fine too but <laughs> but then it, we just it just they hit us over the head with it and they you know i don't it, think they the, did i think oh they, God, they, I they, think said, they like, layered they like the three times, surprises like, really well as far as like building up like the stakes for the plot there's literally a scene at the airport where he's talking to alec baldwin and alec baldwin says you had a terrible decision to make in Berlin. You chose your team, your your team over your your uh, over the mission, and now the world is at risk. You know, boom, stakes super high. And then Angela Bassett comes in right after that and says, "Hey, by the way, you know, you chose your team over the plutonium. Other, and if you didn't, we wouldn't be in this situation." And I was rolling my eyes. I'm like, "Okay, I know. I just heard that." And then the same thing happened throughout later in the movie. Spoiler alert. <laughs> They're talking about the plan, how they can defuse the bombs, and Simon Pegg is like, okay, we have to do this, and then do this, and this at the same time, and then uh, I think uh, Rebecca Ferguson is just like, wait, hold on a second, are you saying that we have to do this, and then this, and then this again, all at the same time? And I was like, what, who's, who's like monitoring this script, who's paying attention to what's going on here? Like, this sounds so ridiculous. I, weirdly, I don't, Chapin, you, you should chime in here, but none of that really bothered me because, you know, again, we're going back, like, this is a, a high, like, intensity action film, ultimately, and I, I appreciated they put those stakes into it. Um, no, the stakes know. can be there. It's just the, ex, the, you the just, extra exposition. You just thought they repeated it too many yeah, times. Yeah, it's just ha- hitting you over the head with it. Like, just get get on with it. They could have cut out all those extra lines of dialogue, and this would have been an hour and a half movie. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, I went back, and I watched Mission Impossible, the first one. Um, and it was funny to think about how much maybe our... Our, our tastes have changed and just like the status quo has changed since then. I mean, when that came out, that was one of the bigger movies of the summer. It was an action movie, but really now in retrospect, it's so much, it's so much like it's, it's, it's definitely the most conservative and kind of 
non-action movie of, right. the, of the series. And it's interesting to see how our pers- pers- perspectives have changed since then. But I, I found myself wanting to kind of wanting more of that in in Fallout. I, I, I agree with you, Lee. I feel like like um, just especially when you compare it to that first first movie, like the the plot really is kind of it doesn't really it's not important, you know, and they'll stop and they'll slow down and they'll show you everything on like an iPad, you know, like they'll stop and they'll and they'll and you'll, they'll make sure like the audience gets it. And then they move on to the next set piece. And the set pieces are amazing, right? Like, that's kind of why we go to these movies, I would imagine. Right. Um, but they're, you know, I mean, we have to we have to talk about what didn't work. And to me, there is just, it's just that obvious kind of, um, you know, like, like you're saying, Lee. Like, I didn't have so much a problem with the repetition of that particular line, although now that you say it, it, it makes sense to me. But just like the, oh, wait, let's stop and let's look at it. Let's make sure this, this you know... Windows Surface is explaining every piece of the thing to us before, we, and those just <laughs> felt kind of clunky, right? Like they just the movie would sort of stop and slow down, and then it would show you, and then they'd jump and move on to the next thing. And I think what you're describing, Lee, is a part of that. It's just like the it just is kind of um, it just it just was just not handled very well. Um, but it, it it was sort of it was sort of strange because the action, the set pieces were so well handled, were so well done. They were, I, I remember I read a couple of reviews and they were very, people describe them as being very coherent, you know, like I think a lot of times it's the style of like the Bourne films, for example, are this kind of kinetic, um, just, you know, very difficult to follow handheld action. Just like cut, 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 you don't cut, know where yeah, you are. You don't know in, where in you relationship are. relationship to everything else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think Macquarie just does a really good job of making very suspenseful um, and very kind of big, uh, you know, large scale feeling um, set pieces. But but you know where you are all the time. And he does it very coherently. Um, and he's a, and it's, what's interesting is he's a writer, too. And But the those moments just felt so clunky, the sort of the plot moments. And, um, I mean, I feel like I'm falling kind of in between you guys here, which is, uh, kind of old territory for us. But, um, I, I, I did find the, what you described, Jeremy, the, the, I, the plots with his wife and stuff to be, to be interesting. I thought that was a really nice character arc, but it was almost like too little too late. Um, and I don't, I feel like I'm not, necessarily giving away my how I feel overall about the movie here but I mean just to sort of defend Lee a little bit here no no I agree like everything you said I agree with and Lee I agree with everything you said but those things that you got hung up on did not bother me in this at all they may have been here strange because I don't I didn't get hung up on them like that's what's so weird about this movie like I had a blast like I I wouldn't hesitate to go see this again in the theater and I think that's just like an effect that these movies and that I think Tom Cruise has on his audience which is but I think also what Chabin just said and how well Macquarie directed those bigger action scenes and in like made you like put you into a place where you actually understood what the what was happening within the the realm of those you know those scenes um I I think was why this was such a fun movie okay but then to expand on that like did you guys either of you guys just start to grow tired of some of these scenes so you have you have this really long motorcycle chase, which is, you know, kind of the obligatory motorcycle chase in a Mission Impossible movie, but it ran pretty long. And then very shortly after that, 
you had a really long car chase and it just though. turned like, into I, a bmw commercial i did it because i think again going back to that point Chapin just made is you understood where you were in the realm of the world and i think that makes a huge difference and i think we're so used to the you know the transformers the the cut 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 not understanding really what's happening and like something explodes over here somebody gets thrown over there and and there's no sense of um like a wholeness and i think they did it so well in here that it was it was like you know you could you could enjoy it yeah and i do think that's an area where Tom Cruise should get some additional credit too, because I think you know, kind of the byproduct um, discussion of him doing all his own stunts is holy shit. Tom Cruise actually, you know, is hanging off a helicopter. But the added level of realism and the ability to not cut away uh, because Tom Cruise is speeding down the street sixty miles an hour on a motorcycle for twenty minutes, or jumping from building to building, or hanging from a helicopter. Uh, right. Lend some of that kind of yeah, you don't have sense to cut of place to and realism. And, yeah, and so cut to I the close up of the motorcycle or something to avoid who's on it. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, that that's that's a you know a positive element of of these movies and him doing all these things. I, I think there's an argument to be made that maybe the future of not necessarily this series, but maybe this type of movie is the sort of physical and. Um, you know what am I trying to say? The the just, you know the, di- the the action sequence. You know if you know for you Lee it was too long and Jeremy you it was perfect for you. But I mean maybe this is the language of these movies now, right? Like maybe maybe it's not about dialogue or story or or plot anymore. And and or maybe it is, but it's told through through these methods. You know it's it's not just it's not just like an excuse to have a a set piece but the set piece has become the storytelling and i think that speaks a lot to tom cruise right like cruise is someone who i'm looking at my list here and i don't want to give too much away but cruise is such a physical actor i mean so much of what we've joked about his run but his run is amazing his run is amazing because it's like full of emotion and he's acting while he's running and he's a physical actor and that like so much of his performance is delivered that way and there's lots of action stars like that you know like Harrison Ford comes to mind um you know people who tell story tell you know act through their entire body um and and like you know Jackie Chan is another one you know someone who um you know the whole basis of of movies around these people are their physicality and how they express it and I think you know you can kind of distill that down into a, a filmmaking kind of language and 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 really that becomes what an action movie is is just like telling a story through shots and action instead of kind of the clunky dialogue that we just uh, lee and i just expressed disdain for i i agree agree with you and i think that's correct but i also like think you still do need to try i mean you still have tom cruise you still have these gr- like really good actors you still got to try to put the effort in to have those stakes in that those the humanity but be I think, present within these movies not just within the action but i think yeah, that's i think he does that like that's that's why he you does. have him that's why you have him flying that helicopter i mean he's flying a helicopter but he's acting too you know he's he's got a look of they i, I remember seeing an interview with christopher mcquarrie and he said you know Eth, the, the 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 thing that stands out about ethan hundy is he's not afraid to show fear you know he, he's like he's an action hero but you see it when he's scared and when he's distressed and 
Cruise is great at that. But I yeah, think these movies sure. do have to be careful of like going that direction, or they're going to turn into, you know, a Fast and the Furious. Because as ridiculous as they are, like they're sort of like Bond movies in that way, where like the villain, the villain's plot is ridiculous, or the stakes are like absolutely ludicrously high in these Mission Impossible movies. And I think if you start getting away from paying too much attention to those things and really kind of, you know, going in the direction of, you know, them being just action movies, then, you know, you're going to run into just these, like, thin movies that have too much expository dialogue or have scenes where, like, the, the, did you guys, you know the scene when he goes um, to, he pretends that he's Lark and he's talking to the woman there that he's supposed to meet and she's he's like i can i'm the only one that can help you get out of here you know the scene i'm talking about yep so he (laughs) she's like what are you talking about he's just like look around and then they just cut and there's just like these two guys just like standing there staring them down and i'm like this is just such bad setups and i feel like that's the direction that these movies are going to end up going if they don't kind of focus a little bit more on the ludicrous stakes and plot and villain and i think um the villain here, and I forget what the actor's name is, but um, he's the same one in, in Rogue Nation, is interesting because... Sean Harris. Is Sean name. Harris. Yeah. You have Ethan Hunt going up against, you know, uh, a, a good adversary. And actually, um, something I wrote down that I wanted to bring up with you guys is kind of the the similarities to this plot, um, to The Dark Knight. Did any of you guys uh, oh, I mean, pick up I'm- on that? Uh, yes, but I also noticed, you know, I mean, he's basically channeling Nolan for this entire movie. I mean, just in his style in general, yeah. I would say. Well, I mean, a couple of things that came in my, came to mind with the Dark Knight villain, the uh, Joker being kind of this um, man who just wants to watch the world burn. You have the same thing here. Um, he also kind of plans to get captured. It's all part of his plan, something that ties in. And then you even have that scene um where, where they, they blow the re- yeah they redirect they sh- the they redirect <laughs> the the convoy so that they can get the guy out is almost yeah, and, directly and they, out of the dark night and they hit the bus into the or the van into the water too it's almost right. like the same setup yeah exactly so yeah but you know i think you have a really good adversary for ethan hunt here because he is sort of somebody that you know is just toying with him like all he, he you know he could he could have easily completed his mission if he didn't want ethan hunt to be there to watch it happen so it sort of sets up an interesting dynamic but that was there in rogue nation and it worked and now it was sort of you know recycled here but only you know to kind of push the story to the next car chase hmm yes look so i, I mean i agree with you i think I think this is a delicate balance and I guess what I was trying to say was that I I just see these I think the way to enjoy these movies is to or or rather maybe the way to to make them in the future is to just realize that they are that people go to see them for for the action sequences and to make those action sequences just just sort of speak in in a way that they don't maybe at the moment and in other words like you know, like I said, like they kind of start and stop um, around around this plot, and they become clunky, and the filmmaking becomes clunky when you start dealing with the with the plot of the movie, like like you were saying, Lee. And I think, um, 
you know, some filmmakers may do it do it better, but I feel like this is a kind of a common trend. I, I don't want this to turn into the, the Fast and the Furious either. I think those movies and movies in general, blockbusters like this that that are, are, are not quite as successful or as good handle those those scenes in any even clunkier. They're they're not a, they're not well expressed. I guess I'm just saying like I don't know, just kinda leave that stuff behind and, and express it through through action instead of dialogue and, and kind of exposition does that make sense but the thing the thing about action is when it really really works it's because it's earned totally and i i think these mission impossible movies at least the last two have uh leaned towards the side if if there's a spectrum of earning their ac- action uh scenes which make a huge difference for me at least as a viewer I, you know i i want to know how they got to those, like, to that point, and what the stakes really are, and I want to be able to see this in a sort of grander view than it just cut, 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 and we we have there you go, there's the action sequence. So, I and I think M- Mission Impossible is good at that. I don't know that the action scenes are really earned in these movies because they always are just. They look at a computer screen, they talk a little bit about what's about to happen, and then they're like, okay, so we got to go to Berlin. And then they cut to Berlin, and then, uh, you know, next thing you know, they're in a car chase because, you know, for whatever reason, they, they had to be there. they explain why they're in the car chase. They explain yeah, why. Yeah, but that's not really all, earning things. That's just, that's just exposition. It is. No, because there are stakes with it. And we, you know what you have to, like, we, we understand what the characters are trying to accomplish within that time frame. Like, so that's earning those actions. I mean, it's not like perfect, but it's still a lot better than ninety percent of the action movies out there. I agree, I like, but I, I did find myself sitting there being like, "Wow, these these sequences are amazing." I I wish I cared more about what happened to the people in them. You know, like fair enough. I mean, it's just like that's really hard. Though. I, I mean, are we ever worried about what's gonna ultimately happen to Ethan Hunt? I mean, that at this point. No, How, how's anybody going to do that? No, but I mean, you care about what happens to the people in the Dark Knight. I mean, it's the same. I mean, again, yeah. it's a it's a tough comparison, but but there's this, some some the, some pretty key characters die in the Dark Knight. I don't see that ever really happening in the um, Mission Impossible movies. I think this goes to me and a question I have for, for well, sorry, Lee, were you did you have more to say? I I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Um, well, I was just going to say that, you know, part of the, the things I liked about about what I like about the Mission Impossible movies is is kind of the like. So there's a scene in Fallout where it, it went from, I thought, what was a ho- absolutely horrible scene. And then when it, it turned out to reveal what it was, it was a great scene when they are uh, sort of tricking this guy in the hospital. Uh, without giving anything away yeah that's a great scene and i think you know and then the masks and like all like and they even have fun with it in the in rogue nation simon Pegg is like oh and i get to wear a mask and they sort of play on the ridiculousness of you know some of these things and in this one they took it a little too seriously when they're like uh, am you know the imf is just a bunch of guys playing you know dressing up for halloween that was refreshing and, because that's oh, always the other way around pro- for me problem with mission impossible is the yeah, mask thing i've it's always had meta, it's almost meta in a way it's, it's, I, it's the other way around for me mission impossible 2 i remember took it to a ridiculous level like it, there was a mask for everything but in the in the 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 recent 3 or the semi recent 3 of the last 10 years or so um 
I think do it well enough, and they sort of even explain it, like how, like in the, in the second, first and the second one, you're like, how are they getting these masks? How are they sounding like the other person? At least they put some science behind it in the in the new yeah, ones. It's but. still ridiculous, but that's it, it is what it is in Mission Impossible. But going back to that hospital scene, Lee, that's where I turned on this movie, and I just kind of went with it after that because. I, I too felt like oh this is a ridiculous scene and, and everybody seemed out of character yeah yeah everything seemed it just I was like ugh I can't do another two hours now with this movie and then it 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 turned and it it ended up revealing what it was and I'm like oh that's kind of brilliant and after that I sort of just shut the rest of it off and just like you know, like the rest of my mind my critical mind and just sort of just went with it at that point yeah I mean I <laughs> I did too I just it's so weird like I. Like I said, I'm can't, I can't stress enough how much f- how much fun I had at the theater for this movie. Right. But, you know, it's just I I, I I wasn't able to look past just some of the the flaws. I mean, there's also plot points that are just kind of silly. You know, like I, I smirked at the beginning because like the whole thing's based on terrorists getting plutonium to make right. nuclear <laughs> bombs. It's like really like we're doing that again. Um, to poison but, the wa- to poison the water, another uh, Batman reference. So we got a an email about Mission Impossible because we advertised that we were going to be doing this. So it looks like people got the hint that we. Um, so they asked the question, which is great. For, we also we also advertised that if we didn't get emails, we'd continue reading work emails. Yeah, so and we got people them. Seem so, to get that. So, hint. Yeah, people yeah. got that. Hint. Okay. So the question is: Do you feel that the Mission Impossible franchise has, in some way, successfully replicated the Bond franchise formula with Ethan Hunt? By that I mean, is the character compelling enough to warrant a franchise that now has six movies, and do they succeed enough, both commercially and creative, creatively? To justify them being made this far in, I think this person should consider using commas. Um, but yes, I think. Um, <laughs> Man, we get emails and then yeah. we just uh, rip them. Um, <laughs> terrible grammatical. I'll start. I mean, it's like no, it's not grammatically bad. I just, I just it would just make this a little easier to read out loud. Um, I, I, I think I don't know that they've replicated the Bond series so much as they've pivoted from it. Right? Like I think it's. Um, I mean, I, I the, obviously the comparisons are pretty pretty obvious here, but I think I think the Bond movies. I mean, my guess would be the next Bond movie has a lot of Mission Impossible influence, and I think um, that they will probably they probably feed each other. Would you guys agree? Uh, maybe. I mean, I think personally, and and it's you know no competition to me i think ethan hunt is a way more interesting character than james bond yeah do you think it's I a think. generational thing at all because i feel the same way i don't keep up especially with bond this movies daniel all, craig but... bond this daniel craig bond takes himself very seriously it's very brooding and it's very minimal minimalistic but and boring but but ultimately, is it boring? Like what? It, like what is the? What is he bringing to the table as far as like having those stakes and um, humanity? Whereas Ethan Hunt has that, and that's sort of what I praised about Fallout. As I, you know, I thought that was on display here. And for my money, I'd take you know, I'd rather watch Ethan Hunt for those reasons because again, it all starts with the, it all starts with Tom Cruise. Um, being able to portray the humanity in this character and then that trickles down to you know making 
the action sequences um, more intense because you got you 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 care about what's going on. Whereas in Bond, it's more methodical and it's just about sort of you know getting from point A to point B to point C. Yeah, they're they're they are locked in creatively to a. I think they they have to follow a formula to some extent that Mission Impossible doesn't. Um, well, I also think that the Bond movies are like James Bond himself and Ethan Hunt. I think are very different in in many ways. Like you know, I don't know that Bond like solves the mystery so much. You know, he sort of just is given his his task, and you know, goes and kills a bunch of people until he completes it. Whereas Ethan Hunt sort of has to uncover a lot of you know, you know intrigue and mystery and you know all the stuff that he has to deal with with these international affairs of his so yeah and i think it's silly it's a silly point to bring up but i'm bringing it up anyhow is that ethan has a choice like he you know literally the manifesto is if you choose to accept it whereas bond it's become it's more robotic it's like this is what's happening you got to go deal with it and i feel like even that little bit of like this is your mission if you choose to accept it um l- lends itself to that character becoming a bit more human yeah wouldn't it be a great mission impossible if he just said mm, no i'm not gonna yeah. i'm no. not gonna do that <laughs> and he just goes uh, on vacation this one sounds horrible no, forget it <laughs> turns into like wolf of wall street <laughs> um the second part of that question um is the character compelling enough to warrant a franchise that now has six movies, and do they succeed enough both commercially and creativ- create, create, creatively? Um, well, you guys seem to answer that question about the character. I, I, I am sort of le- less convinced of that, but I think, I think he, like, that character just. What are you less? Can you don't? You're not a fan of Ethan? No, Hunt I, as a I am. I, I mean, I'm a fan of Tom Cruise, and I guess so. You have to be a fan of Ethan Hunt, but he, his character is not consistent enough throughout all six movies to be like oh this is who this character is I mean they've done a little bit with the wife which I think is actually really compelling now that I think about it um, but yeah I mean there's the, there made, it made this weird turn when, when Tom Cruise became you know was the sort of heartthrob for so long and now it doesn't seem to have is sort of a is de-sexed in a weird way that James Bond isn't um, Scientology will do that. Yeah, I mean that might be it. That kind of that turn, but um, and he's you know he's almost sixty. Um, yeah, I want to watch that documentary, <laughs> the de-sexing, of the de-sexing Tom of Tom Cruise. <laughs> but um, commercially, I mean these movies. It's interesting because these movies, um, the first one made one hundred eighty million dollars domestically, and the subsequent movies have not done much better actually um they don't really make more than 200 million domestic they do pretty well internationally but even then what are the budgets on these though? they're about they're 100 be 150 million well, this one so was 178 yeah so i think this one will do a, do a lot of do better but they're not they're i mean <laughs> they aren't at the same scale as like you know some of the the other bigger ones and i think that's smart on um paramount's part but i think yeah there's a limited in a strange way there's like a limited kind of there's like a critical mass to how much money these movies can make they're not they aren't quite the franchise that um you know why do you think that is why why i can't it's so i think it's so strange that you know this movie i mean it's doing fine it's topping the box office but so far you know domestically 90 million 
Yeah, I don't know. I it's they they are much more reserved. They don't they aren't the big hits that some of those other movies are for sure. You know, it's strange. I mean, but it's making a ton of money. Its worldwide gross is already over two hundred and five billion dollars. Yeah, but the, if the Avengers made that on the first day. I mean, you know, like the. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I'm not sure why. Cause, you know, it's it fits all. It checks all the boxes. It's PG-13. It has a huge movie star. Um, not a lot of sex appeal in it. Maybe that's part of the problem. The de-sexing of Tom Cruise. Welcome to the mailbag. All right. So this email, uh, a brief one uh, in response to our discussion on 2001 A Space Odyssey, comes from a listener named Jeff. Um, and uh, the reason uh, I kind of wanted to... Uh, reread it is because it elaborates a little bit on a point that you brought up, Chapin, and he uh, basically says that 2001 is like listening to Miles Davis's Mademoiselle Mabry, slow moving but beautiful. Now that's not a Miles Davis song I'm familiar with. However, Chapin, you brought up that you know music a lot of times is an emotional experience, while movies can be more of an intellectual one. But 2001 sort of flips that. And it is very much an emotional experience. And I think um, it's interesting to some, that someone kind of pointed out a specific piece of music that they relate it to. Um, because after I read that email, I was thinking about it. I was like, you could close your eyes and watch 2001. Like with that music that we talked about being so mesmerizing, um, you know, obviously the visuals are the biggest aspect. But there is sort of like this kind of, you know, musical cadence to that movie 2001 the best movie for the blind (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah i just wanted to uh read that email and comment on that and of course thank jeff for listening and send sending us an email excuse me lieutenant is there something wrong yes ma'am the data on the mig is inaccurate how's that lieutenant well i just happened to see a mig 28 Sorry, We happened to see a MiG-28 do a 4G negative dive. Where did you see this? That's classified. It's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Lieutenant, I have top secret clearance. The Pentagon sees to it that I know more than you. Oh, ma'am, it doesn't seem so in this case now, does it? So, Lieutenant? Where exactly were you? Well, we Thank you. started up on his six when he pulled through the clouds, and then I moved in above him. Well, if you were directly above him, how could you see him? Because I was inverted. All right, so this week we are doing top five Tom Cruise scenes. And we decided to go against performances only because I think we'd have too many repeats, and we may have a bunch here, too. But... Um, I don't know how you guys did it. Uh, for me, it was more about um, his acting in the scenes. Uh, I mean, there are there are scenes within Tom Cruise movies that he's a part of that are amazing, but I kind of focus personally on the acting. I don't know. How about do you guys have any criteria? Yeah, I did something similar. I, I, I think the performance itself was the main criteria that I had, although I did want it to be scenes that within the movie were also good. Um, 
because there are some scenes that I think really, you know, the performance shines, but it's not necessarily the most entertaining or interesting scene in the movie. Yes, uh, I had a similar thought. I, I did kind of want to make this my... I wanted to at least acknowledge Tom Cruise's performances that I liked here, um, but there were some that just that I think are very good that just didn't make the list. I, I This is going to be controversial, and maybe we can discuss it more whenever we get around to our Kubrick retrospective, but I like I really think he is good in Eyes Wide Shut. I know that's controversial, but... Um, I do, too. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah. Why, did you, why do you think that's controversial? Because um, I think a lot of people think he's really bad in that movie, and I think a lot of people don't like that movie, but I think so much of the movie hinges on him. Um, but there I isn't agree. one scene in that movie that stands out to me, and maybe that's part of the right. reason why it's controversial. All right, that being said, uh, Lee, why don't you go first with your number five? Okay, I, uh, I have a pretty um, unoriginal list, I'm afraid, but... Um, I do feel like I have some good reasons for each of my picks. My number five comes from Rain Man, and it's seen towards the beginning when he's actually speaking to the lawyer about the inheritance that he isn't getting. Um, And there's two reasons here that I went with this one. And, And the biggest one is because Dustin Hoffman gets so much credit for his performance in this movie, which I think is warranted. But as a result, Tom Cruise, which happens very rarely, gets overshadowed. And... I think Cruz is great in this movie, and his arc is really what makes this movie work to the extent that it does. Um, And there's that one line in this particular scene where he's starting to, you know, really get agitated about how he hasn't gotten anything, and this brother that he never knew he had is getting all the money and inheritance, but he's got the rose bushes. He's definitely got the rose bushes, and of course we know the definitely line from Rain Man and Dustin Hoffman throughout the entire movie, but here before we even met Dustin Hoffman, you see uh, the similarities in the two characters coming out, and uh, something that I, you'll you'll probably hear me talk about with my next pick too is, is Tom Cruise does a good job of making lines that shouldn't work, work and I think that's an example. Nice pick. Great pick. Uh, all right, I'll go next. So my, just to follow up with what you just said, Lee, about <clears throat> Tom Cruise making lines work that should not work, um, my number five, this is a scene that in its entirety should be way too overdramatic, melodramatic, or whatever you want to call it. It, it On paper, I'm sure it didn't work. I know the director himself, Cameron Crowe, had, had to say to them, like, let's not do that. And Tom Cruise is like, no, no, I want to give it a whirl. And it is the famous uh, Had Me at Hello scene from Jerry Maguire, which I just rewatched, of course, um, for this top five to see, like, could that make it like you think of Jerry Maguire and you go, Oh, it's a little bit sappy. It's a little bit over the top. And honestly, Cruz completely pulls that scene off. I mean, now it's obviously famous for Zellweger's line there of you had me at hello, but they make, or I should say he makes that scene, that scene real. And it's quite an acting accomplishment to do that. Without it make without it seeming over the top or melodramatic, and and that's all the credit goes to Tom Cruise there. Okay, uh, my number five is uh, Collateral, 
Um, and I wanted to highlight this performance, and there's so many. It, it's one of those ones, as I mentioned about Eyes Wide Shut, where the sort of the cumulative impact is is greater than any one particular scene. Um, but I think the one that kind of defines that performance for me is when he is sort of turning the tables on Jamie Foxx's character. He's, you know, kidnapped him basically in his cab and is driving around killing people in Los Angeles. But then inevitably they get to know each other and he's towards the end of the night turns on him and, 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 and kind of chews him out for, you know, not living his life to the fullest basically. Um, and I think it's such a it's such a difficult tone to strike as an actor i think that he doesn't get enough credit for where he's this evil kind of uh so almost like subhuman bad guy that kind of exists in the in the night he's like a i mean he looks like a fox they made him look like a fox or like a, a wolf or something and he's or a coyote for he, example yeah or a coyote um and 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 but but he's got to like show that he cares in a weird way about Max, his uh, the the Jamie Foxx character there, and I think it's like a really a really challenging performance that he that he does uh, very well. He just um, so that's my number five. Okay, Jeremy, you stole my thunder a little bit with number uh, my number four. It does come also from Jerry Maguire, and kind of what I referenced. This whole movie is made up of scenes that just should not work, and. It got me thinking a little bit about Cameron Crowe and in three movies in particular with Jerry Maguire, Almost Famous, and then, of course, Elizabethtown, where perhaps <laughs> great actors save him from himself because, you know, Jerry Nobody Maguire... Nobody saved Elizabethtown. Well, because it didn't have great actors. It had Orlando right. Bloom instead of Tom Cruise. And the scene that I put was when he quits, um, quits his job. And yep. much like the, the finale scene and much like the help me help you scene with uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., like this is a scene that just is ridiculous. It shouldn't work. The lines that he say says are dumb. He talks about <laughs> the fish having manners and he's taking the fish with him and, you know, he's not going to flip out. And, like, he just pulls it off. And it's a it's just a, a monologue for about three or four minutes. And it's, it works, it's, and it shouldn't. And I think you just have to give Cruz a ton of credit in the same way that you do for the, the final scene. Yeah, 100%. Cruz, basically, he took, I think he took this script as a challenge. Like, oh, you're going to write that? I'm going to make it work. And uh, he does. That's so funny about Elizabethtown. Fucking Orlando Bloom, who replaced yeah, uh, uh, Ashton Kutcher. Kutcher. I mean, come on. What was he thinking? <laughs> okay, uh, is it my turn? No, Jeremy, it's you. Yeah, so uh, my number four is a movie we've mentioned, and I think this is probably going to happen a bunch of times, but it is a different scene. Um, it's in Collateral. Uh, I picked the jazz club scene. And the reason is, and a lot of that is Tom Cruise listening in that, but he's just so good in this movie at pretending to have sympathy when you know it's not there oh yeah and i don't know it's 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 like it's an art form to do that because within the context of the film you know that this jazz club owner really thinks that this guy sitting across from him thinks he's telling this amazing story and is blown away by it and this and that but Cruz is able to 
have this amazing ability to play a character that's just so evil but seems of this world like mm. you know instead of like just this and i think the comparison to the coyote is is appropriate because obviously michael mann sort of saw that as well um because you have that scene of him like looking at a coyote is almost like looking at in a mirror in a weird way but i don't know cruise in this in in that movie plays something completely different than he's ever played before as far as uh, a bad guy and it's so minimal like he's he doesn't play anything up but it you just you 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 believe that this character could exist yeah yeah tie tie in with our miles davis email Mm -hmm. and it ties in with our miles davis email (laughs) brilliant okay um, my number four is the uh, training, the, the first training sequence in um, Edge of Tomorrow, or Live, Die, Repeat, I don't know, whatever we're calling that these days. Um, I, I think it's a scene that just, it, it just shows, it just shows a lot of humility for, for Cruz. He's, um, this movie, like famously, he I guess he becomes the action hero that he is, but early on he's kind of a coward like that's sort of the point of his character um and he has to learn to you know fight the the aliens and and he's and he trains with emily blunt and you know uh, with the structure of the story is killed many 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 times groundhog day style and um yeah i don't know he's very funny charming and you just kind of warm up to him and that's in those sequences and it just it, it, those specifically his performance in that movie i think really just made that movie a little bit you know d- more than what it what it was you know it, it kind of elevated it in a way also yeah, a good pick. written I by was, christopher uh, mcquarrie too it was, he he wrote it yeah he wrote that too yeah um yeah no i'm glad that made the list um all right my number three i'm going with the scene in uh minority report when he's gotten to the point where he he is at his wits end and he is a hundred percent sure that he he could not have a future killing this this person and he basically grabs agatha and screams you know where is my minority report do i even have one and she tells him no and i just think you get sort of this combination of his you know that that kind of cocky arrogance that he has as a cop slipping away into this like lost character that doesn't know what's going to happen next. And then eventually you get to this scene later where he has this realization and it's such an interesting arc, um, that, you know, I think this is sort of the, the middle point of where perhaps he realizes that an arc is happening. Um, and you know, another, uh, just something else to kind of praise Cruz at is his ability to, you know, create a character and create a character arc in a movie that maybe doesn't totally need one and it elevates the movie to a great one um, as opposed to, you know, whoops, you know, Minority Report probably could have gotten away with being a entertaining sci-fi movie that, you know, people forgot about and instead it's a fantastic sci-fi movie that people forgot about. All right, so for my number three, I'm sure this character will come up on all our lists, um, but it's Frank T.J. Mackey 
from Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. This was the first time I looked at Tom Cruise in a different light as far as like took him seriously as an actor, as um, somebody who seemed to care about the performance they're giving. Because it, it, it's a it's a dangerous role, really, for an actor, that one. And it's um, something we have to be pretty trusting of the director and the writer, which, of course, with Paul Thomas Anderson, that's almost easy to do. But the scene in particular that I'm picking is when he's uh, bedside of his father, played by Jason Robards, um, and he basically says, I'm not going to cry for you. It was a different Tom Cruise that I saw there for the first time ever. And it was an impressive performance. So, there you go. My number three. That is also my number three. Um, Is it my turn? That same scene? No, not that scene, but that performance. Um, Right. But I'm going to go with the... uh, I I like the interview the best. I think it's... um, Yep. He comes in there and he's like Mr... You know, he's like fresh off the stage from his motivational speaking... And he, he's got his pants around his ankles. He's wearing those tidy whities And it's clear that the inter, the interviewer is just not on the same level as him and is going to ask him this, these disarming questions. And she's not particularly impressed. No, she's not impressed at all. And you can, like, you can feel him re- realizing that, right? Like, he's, he's blind to it initially. And then she's like, you know, sit down, sit down. And he, he realizes that his charms are not working on her. Um, and I just think like that scene is, um, I think why I like it the most is it plays on Tom Cruise as a person, right? Like we know him as this, you know, former, but at that time I think he probably still was, you know, this heartthrob who had this appeal to women and this, you know, um, magneticism that we all feel for movie stars. Um, and he played that and then it just kind of just disappears. And I thought that was a really powerful sequence. Um, I'm up. My number two. All right. Um, so this is a pretty famous scene. Um, so there probably will be no surprise that it shows up on the list. But it is the Jack Nicholson interrogation in A Few Good Men. Um, the most famous portion of which, of course, is when he demands that he wants the truth. Uh, but if you take a look at that whole scene, um, the back and forth between those two is incredible. And a 30-year-old Tom Cruise going up against who was our, uh, Jack Nicholson, who's already an icon, is is incredible, and he and he wins that that scene. You know, obviously as a character, but also, you know, I think as actors, um, you know, he he does an amazing job where he sort of kind of leads in with his um, his theory about why Santiago hadn't packed, and it sort of just trickles into the escalation of the scene. Um, and, you know, of course, the end of it's going to get um, recognized because it's a, you know, it's a famous line. But that whole scene is incredible. And I think Cruz is great in that movie. Um, and I think, you know, an, again, another sort of example of him being able to handle any type of material with an Aaron Sorkin script here, uh, a very dialogue heavy movie. Um, you know, he still sort of plays that kind of cocky character, which he does well. Um, but I think a great, a great uh, scene and uh, uh, one of many in that movie. Yeah, I'm glad that got in here. Um, it's a movie again. I have to revisit. Uh, it's such a famous scene that I almost like. Do do I like? Is it more famous than 
it is good or like is it you know what I mean like you have to kind of revisit the context of the movie as a whole to really discover that yeah all right my number two and again this is a movie that um, I had to this scene stuck out for me from this movie, and, and I remember it, but it's been so long since I've seen it, so I had to re-watch the scene. And I was just kind of blown away by his performance in it. And it's uh, born on the 4th of July when he comes home drunk and he starts screaming about, Thou shall not kill. Um, all these performances we talked about with Tom Cruise up to this point, it's still Tom Cruise. It's still Tom Cruise, the movie star. Born on the 4th of July is the one movie where Tom Cruise ceases to be Tom Cruise to me. He's not a chameleon actor. He's not a Daniel Day-Lewis. He doesn't sort of... You don't forget that you're dealing with Tom Cruise. As good as he is and as much as we like him, he's always still Tom Cruise, the movie star. Born on the 4th of July is the performance where he loses himself. And this scene in particular is devastating and he's just he doesn't he doesn't it's the one he's allowing himself to not care about how he looks how he comes off as far as maintaining those sort of movie star qualities he loses himself in this role and it's quite amazing and it's definitely even if you don't have time to rewatch the whole movie it's worth rewatching this scene and which scene is it uh he comes in He's drunk. His parents start yelling at him. Oh, said, yeah, oh we have yeah, a drunk yeah, for yeah, a child. Yeah, he grabs the crucifix off the wall, and he goes, this is what you believe, Mom. And uh, he wakes up the whole neighborhood, and he said, starts talking about how he had, how, like, well, look at what, what the neighborhood did to me. They sent me to Vietnam. You told me not to kill. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really powerful scene. And, again, this is like the Jerry Maguire thing where, yeah, it could have been, oh, like, melodramatic. It could have not worked. But he he totally loses himself in it and does an amazing job. What are your thoughts in general on that movie? It's a movie I, have to, I, I really need to revisit again to have a solid opinion on. I just I do remember that that scene in particular standing out to me. So I was like, oh, let me let me check it out. And it is quite incredible. Right. I, I rewatched that about a year ago, um, and it's it's quite good. I mean, it, it definitely um, is an Oliver Stone movie, um, you know, and it's full of his opinions, but he's pretty mature about him, I think, and there's a scene I considered um, from that movie for this list was the scene when he goes um, to visit the parents of his fellow soldier, that was killed um and uh you know for those of you who hadn't seen the movie he he believes that he may have been the one that accidentally shot and killed this this soldier so he's been kind of riddled with this guilt among other things and he goes and he and he tells uh tells the um the parents that he he's the one that killed their son um but he even when he first starts telling them he's not totally convinced he he says i think i killed your son and then by the end he says but no you're not listening i killed your son because they're being very uh accepting of him and and understanding so 
um, that scene in particular kind of stood out for me because it, it, it got away from kind of the, the preachiness that Oliver Stone is guilty of sometimes, and it kind of just let the movie unfold. And I think, you know, that kind of really gave it a, you know, a notch on its belt for me. Yeah, and I know, I know we've talked about it and we've brought it up in this podcast, but, you know, we're talking Oliver Stone, we're, ta- we're talking PTA, uh, we're talking Stanley Kubrick. I mean, he goes out of his way to work with these great directors and it's definitely something as an actor to be admired yeah i mean you look at his you look at his credits it's he's i mean there's yeah he's never worked with tarantino i I think it's the only tarantino or scorsese but no he did color money oh that's right color money um yeah ron howard he's worked with uh yeah uh okay javen your number two um my number two is war of the worlds um again this was an altogether disappointing movie for me it was the uh you know the reunion of spielberg and Cruz from obviously one of my favorite movies minority report and so i was really excited and it was it looked like a an amazing movie they were making and i think altogether i i haven't seen it in a while but i guess i was disappointed by it but i really thought tom cruise was great in this movie um (laughs) and it's a weird thing to say especially after we're talking about board on the fourth of july but um He's just, he's kind of a dick. Um, he's kind of a dick to his kids. And I think the scene that really exemplifies that is when he's having a catch with his son in the backyard. Um, and there's just something to, you know, turning off your charm completely and, you know, being a real asshole to your kids that I think is, is, is kind of a, um, is kind of like a, it's a risk to take as an actor. Um, and, like he's trying to be this really good parent uh, the whole movie um but he's not you know he's just he he it's a struggle for him it's really a challenge for him to be a good parent and he does a great job at that um and i think it makes this movie more powerful than it probably should be i was hoping that would come up on your list i know that you've brought it up before because it does i think where it fails is it doesn't go far enough in the direction of focusing on those relationships and that family and it does just become too much of a monster movie and had that line been balanced a little bit better i think it would have been more what you were hoping um but cruz does his does what he needs to do to bring that and you hear you know he he elevates the movie and i think you know that's a, a huge credit I don't know that you can give sometimes a bigger compliment to an actor. Yeah. All right. So my number one, you guys mentioned Magnolia, Frank T.J. Mackey. Interestingly enough, however, if you were to divide uh, his performance into three categories, mine is the third. And it's the scenes when he's on stage um, doing Seduce and Destroy. Um you know, Chapin, you mentioned our, with our Mission Impossible discussion how he is a physical actor and a lot of his performance comes from uh, the physicality. And I think that's no exception here to, a, you know, obviously to a, a little bit of a more subtle extent, but, you know, he does so much with his hand gestures and his, and, you know, the way he walks and struts around the stage and how that changes as he comes back from the break and he's flustered because of the interviews. Uh, and I think it's brilliant. I think it's, I think he is Tom Cruise. He is a superstar. Um, you know, people are cheering for him and he takes that and puts it into the role and uses that almost as a method acting type of piece to become Frank T.J. Mackey um, on stage. And, 
you know, I love him in this movie. I think both of the scenes that um, you guys mentioned could very well have been my number two and my number three on this list because um, I think it's his best performance. Yeah, it's it's a hard performance to argue with. Like I said, it's it for me personally, it's kind of where, where things changed. Um, how I looked at Tom Cruise as an actor rather than a movie star, it was that performance. That being said, my number one is in Minority Report. It is the scene where Tom Cruise realizes he is going to kill this man that the whole movie he said he's been running from the accus- accusation of killing somebody he hadn't ki- he wasn't going to kill and so much of this movie hinges on his realization and how he depicts that um like you know as far as just screenwriting goes and structure and plot that's one of the hard that's got to be one of the hardest things to pull off is you have a movie about murders in the future you have the cop that enforces these murders in the future being accused of a murder in the future that he knows he's not going to do and then you realize why he ends up needing to commit this murder and he's so good at that sort of moment when he goes like holy crap i am going to kill this man because of what he had um done to his son he thinks he he had kidnapped and killed his son um talk about payoff and it's payoff in cruz's performance it's payoff in that moment in the screenplay um it's just like this ultimate culmination of a, a bunch of things that make that that elevate that movie to where it is in our minds. Yeah, it's a great it's a great sequence, a disturbing sequence too. I mean, I think that's something we don't you don't that movie doesn't get a lot of credit for. It's it's such a groundbreaking in that sense. It's this blockbuster with this lovable movie star, and then they're ripping his eyes out, and he's <laughs> you know yeah killing people and blah 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 yeah great great pick what it, that that scene came up on a top five recently but i don't remember what top five it was i don't know i don't remember maybe feedback at get your film fix podcast.com uh, i think it's your turn lee no you're up oh i'm up number my number one okay my number one is my movie you just mentioned lee and it's a it's a scene from The Color of Money. Um, I had never seen this Scorsese Tom Cruise movie before, and I went back. It was on, I think, HBO, and I watched it, um, and I was blown away by Cruise. Um, it's a, he, he actually did this movie a couple years after uh, Top Gun, so he you know he was pretty well known by that point. But he's just so like innocent and kind of um, happy-go-lucky and and young and dumb, but he's a brilliant pool player. Um, and I think the scene, I think that it's a great performance in general, but I think the scene that I like the most from him is when um, Newman decides to leave and go on his own and he's, you know, quits mentoring Tom Cruise. And, you know, there's this, he's kind of a father figure to him. And, um, yeah, it's just a, it's just a really good performance um, in a movie that I think Scorsese has said things about. And it's, it's a little bit of a light movie for him, um, but it's really fun. And, uh, 
it's I, I like it. Well, thank you for listening to uh, this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. As always, um, please uh, look us up on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, please send us an email. We'll read it on the podcast as we did today. Um, feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Uh, any comments, any questions, um, if there's a movie you want us to review, uh, we'll be happy to look at it all. Thanks again. Bye. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.